Amen. You can grab a seat. Welcome to Element Church. I'm so glad that you are here today. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at, uh, at Element Church. I have the privilege of sharing the message with you today. Our lead pastor, you may or may not know this, but our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Manis, is on sabbatical this summer. About two-thirds of the way through that sabbatical. It's going very, very well. And uh, we are just excited and thankful that as a local church, we can invest into the health of our pastor in that way. And so just encourage you to continue to pray for him, his family, that, uh, that this time away from the church would be a great time of rest and rejuvenation, that they'd come back here at the end of August uh, just ready to continue to lead this church into the next 10 years of our, our ministry. So we're excited about that. Encourage you to continue to pray for them. Uh, now, how many of you in the room have parents or grandparents that talk about the good old days? Anybody can, can relate with that? Or maybe, maybe you have crossed the threshold where you talk about the good old days. Is that anybody in the room today? Okay, that means you are officially old, okay? If you start talking about the good old days, then you are officially old. Well, uh, just about a little over a month ago, uh, I went back to Pennsylvania where both of my parents grew up, and uh, we had a family reunion. My grandmother turned 90 years old, and we had this really awesome family reunion. Got to see family that I hadn't seen in probably 10 years, and it was fantastic. We went back there, had a great time, and probably my favorite thing about that kind of thing is hearing the stories that people have to tell. Some of, them, some of them you're not entirely sure whether they're true or not, but uh, with my grandmother, I love the stories that she tells. And even though she's 90 years old, her mind is so sharp and she, she can vividly tell you in detail these stories from the past of growing up. And uh, I absolutely love that. That's my favorite thing of, of visiting family. And on my dad's side of the family, there are four brothers and one older sister. And one of the things that, that I have observed now that I'm a little bit older as an adult, uh, I've observed that the stories of the brothers don't always match up. Like sometimes they, 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 these stories become a little more grand than they actually were. Sometimes these stories don't match up. And it's kind of funny because the older sister, my aunt, she will, she will kind of pipe up at the end of the story sometimes. And she'll, she's like the trump card. She will just kind of tell you, no, it really wasn't that way. You, you make it sound a little bit more grand than it actually than it actually was there there was a term that was, made that was made popular by Tom Brokaw that describes the good old days. He wrote a book called The Greatest Generation. Some of you maybe have heard of this book before. And in this book, he describes a generation that was indeed a great generation. It was this generation, it was the generation of my grandparents. It was this generation that lived through the Great Depression and World War II. It was this generation that went to war because it was the right thing to do. And as I study the scriptures and even gain a greater understanding of our American history as well, I've learned, as many of you have, that history goes in cycles. While the generation of my grandparents might be known as the greatest generation or the good old days, my generation might be known for its apathy or laziness. Now, I don't need to cite today uh, any statistics to prove to you in the room today about the problems of our day. We all see around us every day the problems of our day. And I don't know about you, but, but I'm tired of hearing political answers to our problems because the problems of our day require much more 
than a political solution. Now, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And I would say I'm so glad that you're here today. I hope you know you're welcome here at Element Church. And I hope you continue to attend Element Church. And and, and what I hope that you will see in the message today is that the Christian faith is and it should be so much more than a political agenda or a political slant. I hope that you'll see that today. The big idea of the message today is this. The problems of our day require a different solution. We are continuing a sermon series today called Minor Prophets, Major Message. And uh, even though the book that we're looking at today was written roughly 2,600 years ago, there is a message here for us today. We're looking at the book of Zephaniah. And the prophet Zephaniah is very unique in that he was most likely the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah of Judah, which makes him the only prophet of royal descent. And while we might point back to the generation of my grandparents as the greatest generation, it's very likely that Zephaniah would have pointed back to the the generation of his great-great-grandfather, the generation of King Hezekiah as the good old days. King Hezekiah, Zephaniah's great-great-grandfather, was a righteous king, one of the few righteous kings. Zephaniah was more than likely born during the reign of the wicked king Manasseh. And after King Manasseh and King Ammon came King Josiah of Judah. And King Josiah of Judah would bring religious reform and great revival that was unfortunately short-lived. Zephaniah's prophecy would have been in the early years of King Josiah. And his forceful prophecy is believed to be part of the reason why King Josiah and the nation of Judah during his day turned back to the Lord. However, roughly 30 years after the prophecy of Zephaniah, the judgment of God would fall on Judah and the nation and they would be taken into exile by the Babylonians. Main scripture today is Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, and Zephaniah 3, verses 1 through 4. Let's look quickly at chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. What sorrow awaits rebellious, polluted Jerusalem, the city of violence and crime? Now, you might think that our nation today is, you might think of our nation as going to hell in a handbasket. Well, the moral decay of our nation could easily be compared to the moral decay of Zephaniah's day. The big question we're going to ask and answer in the message is this. What is the problem of our day? Zephaniah speaks to the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah, but this message of Zephaniah, it holds true for us today as well. The first thing we see is this, number one, the problem of the people. Zephaniah 3 verse 2 says this, No one can tell it anything. It refuses all correction. It does not trust in the Lord or draw near to its God. Zephaniah comes out with a a very strong message, and he challenges the people of Jerusalem with three things. Here they are. The first thing he challenges them with is is that uh, they, they had a rejection of God's truth. 
They were guilty of rejecting God's truth. And there's really two elements to this rejection of God's truth. The ASV translation helps us see it a little more clearly and says it this way. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. Two things here. The first thing is that they had the teaching of God. They had the teaching of God, but they rejected the teaching of God. It sounds a little bit like our day, does it not? We have the truth of God. Unfortunately, we, we often do not allow the truth of God to transform our lives. And the second piece of this rejection is they had received correction. They received correction. Only a generation or so before, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile by the Assyrians. The Assyrians had come knocking at the door of Jerusalem with 185,000 troops seeking to destroy Jerusalem and invade Judah as well as the northern kingdom. But in that day, under King Hezekiah, the people repented and God spared them. It scared them half to death, though. They received correction. This is one example of, of many, by the way. And even though they had received correction, they soon after went back to rejecting God. Second thing is they, they had a trust in themselves. They had a trust in themselves. They didn't trust in the Lord. Instead, they trusted in their own intellect. They trusted in their own power, and they were wrong. The third thing that we see here is, is they, they ignored the Lord. They ignored the Lord. Rather than drawing near to the Lord, they did their own thing. Did their own thing. We live in what I like to call an I feel like culture. An I feel like culture. And the problem with, uh, the problem with our feelings and our opinions is that our feelings are often flawed, right? Our, our, our feelings are often flawed. I can prove it to you. Think back to junior high. The junior, if you can think back, think back to the junior high version of yourself, and think back to maybe the very first crush that you had in junior high. Now, there may be someone here today that is married to their junior high crush. Most of us are probably not. And most of us are probably thankful that you are not. Uh, you know, most of us are not married to our, our junior high crush. But think back to junior high. What if you got everything that you wanted in junior high? Your life would be a lot different than it is now, right? Right? Now, let me just say this. If you think back to junior high and you think about your life right now and you think, man, I, I think I made a lot better decisions as the junior high version of myself than I do right now. If that's you, you need to talk to the prayer team after the service and get some help because that's not good. That is not good, okay? Uh, hopefully, uh, for most of us, we think back and think, man, I'm really glad I didn't make, I'm really glad I didn't get everything that I wanted in junior high. Surely you can think back to, to junior high or high school and, and maybe there was a time you really wanted something and you didn't get what you wanted. And you look back now and you think, I'm so glad I didn't get what I wanted then. Or, or on the flip side, think back. Maybe there's a time you can think back to in that, that period of time, junior high, high school, and you really wanted something. You would do anything to get what you wanted, and you got what you wanted. But now you look back and you think, man, I really wish that I wouldn't have gotten what I wanted because what I wanted actually wasn't very good for me. See, our feelings are flawed because our feelings are usually governed by our appetite. 
And if we always followed our appetite, if we always followed our appetite, we would, we would be in a very unhealthy position. Now, I'm not trying to say that God doesn't care about our feelings, because actually, he does. I am saying, however, that our feelings have very little to do with our eternal destination. The, the single greatest problem of the people of God today is that too often we are governed by our feelings and our opinions rather than the truths of God. And maybe you find yourself today living as the people did in Zephaniah's day. And you are trusting in your own feelings and your opinions rather than trusting in God. And what I've found is that when I live my life based on my feelings and desires, it doesn't work out very well. It doesn't work out very well. Listen to these promises of God that are true for us today. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Your understanding... And your feelings are flawed. We've got to stop trusting in our feelings and our knowledge and instead trust in the Lord. To trust in God's way is to consistently recognize that our way isn't very good. When we trust in his way, he will straighten our path. And it may not always feel good, but God actually knows what is best for us. James 4 verse 8 says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The promise of God is that if we draw near to him, he will respond. He will respond. He will save when we call on the name of Jesus, he will save. He will purify. He will give peace. He will give purpose. And he will give hope. The problems of our day require a different solution. So what's the problem of our day? The first thing we see is the, the problem of the people. They rejected God instead of pursuing the truth of God. Number two is this. The problem of leadership. Zephaniah 3 verse 3 says this. Its leaders are like roaring lions hunting for their victims. Its judges are like ravenous wolves at evening time, who by dawn have no trace, have left no trace of their prey. Zephaniah addresses two groups of people. He addresses the political leaders, and he addresses as well the religious leaders. And here in verse 3, the, the verse we just read, he challenges the political leaders of his day. Now, this may be hard for us to wrap our minds around, but politics were not as civilized in that day as they are today. You're laughing. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, there were actually politicians that would sometimes promise things during their campaigns that they wouldn't actually follow through on. I'm sure that doesn't happen today. We're so much more civilized today. Of course, I, I'm being facetious. But, but the truth is, in Zephaniah's day, the, the political leadership in Jerusalem, they were more interested in their personal gain 
than they were interested in the welfare of the people they represented. So that's the the political leadership. And and then verse 4 shifts to the spiritual leadership, and Zephaniah has this to say. Its prophets are arrogant liars seeking their own gain. Its priests defile the temple by disobeying God's instructions. There's a few things packed here into this verse here. The first is that they led from a selfish position. Spiritual leadership he's talking about here. They led from a selfish position. Rather than having a real concern for people's spiritual condition, they led out of what would bring them gain and notoriety. The second thing we see in the spiritual leaders of that day is they themselves were defiled. They themselves were defiled. In other words, they preached a message of purity, but they failed to live it themselves. Third thing we see here is they refused to teach the truths of God. Other translations say it this way. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. A little over 600 years later, Jesus shows up on the scene and he challenges the, uh, the religious leaders in a very similar way. Matthew 23, 23 through 25 says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. If you have children, you, you, you've probably experienced what I have experienced in that uh, it's very difficult to teach a child a healthy behavior that you yourself are not practicing. It's very difficult to, to do that, right? And uh, I, I've been a parent for six, almost seven years. And in that time, I've got to tell you that in that time, I think the number of vegetables that I eat on a regular basis has tripled in that time. It's tripled. Because here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that I can, and I'm not above this, just like some of you are not above this. I can bribe my children to eat their veggies. And I do at times bribe them to eat their veggies. I like to think about it as positive reinforcement though, right? Like if you eat this, I'll give you ice cream. It, this, this is how it works. This is just how it works, right? Some of you are guilty of doing it just like I'm guilty of doing it. But here's what I've, I've discovered. Uh, it's not all that effective at times. And while sometimes you can get it to work, or, or, or other ways, like you threaten or you, you try to punish if they don't do, uh, eat their veggies or, or do so, some kind of behavior that you need them to do, right? You can threaten or you can bribe them or positive reinforcement, whatever you want to call it. Like, like you can do that. And sometimes it works. Sometimes. But what I've discovered is that the most effective way to lead my children to do something healthy is to, is to lead the way, is to actually model the behavior that I want to see in my children. I, I've got to model it. Like if I expect it, then I need to model it as a parent. In my study, I ran across this quote, says this, someone has said 
that a politician is concerned about his party and asks, is it popular? The diplomat is concerned with policy and asks, is it safe? But the statesman is concerned about the good of the nation and asks, is it right? Now, when we add a spiritual element to that question, is it right, takes on a whole new meaning for us. Are you modeling that which is right for the people that you lead and influence? Now, you may not consider yourself to be a leader, but you are, because leadership is influence. And whether it be with your kids, employees, your family, coworkers, or friends or neighbors, you have influence. So the question I want to just pose for you today is this, what are you doing with that influence? I want to encourage you this week sometime to take a few minutes just to think through and even write out a couple answers to these questions I'm going to put up on the screen for you. The first one is this, what do I want for my children spiritually? Now, you can substitute children for coworkers, neighbors, friends, parents, employees, anyone that you have influence with. What do I want for those I influence? What do I want for them spiritually? And the second question is this, how am I modeling that or leading them toward that? How am I modeling that or leading them toward that? The problems of our day require a different Solution. So what's the problem of our day? The first thing that we, we saw is the problem of the people. The second thing we saw is the problem of leadership. And, and lastly, number three is this, the problem of the church. It's interesting that as much as we typically ignore these books of the Bible, how profoundly applicable they are for us today. The nation of Judah had more problems than ever before. The judgment of God would come on this nation in the near future for their rejection of God. And the church had grown irrelevant. Not relevant in the sense of having up-to-date music and design, but irrelevant in the sense that they no longer preached or lived the truths of God in the midst of a wicked culture. By and large, the church, the people of God in that day, they were more concerned with the size of their bank account than they were concerned about pleasing God. But not everyone. Not everyone. There was a remnant of God's people. There was a small group of God's people that genuinely sought and pursued the Lord. And these minor prophets are part of that small group that had the courage to live their faith counterculturally. While the nation was going to hell in a handbasket, there was a small group of people that continued to pursue the Lord. This verse is a rally cry for the remnant of God's people. Zephaniah 2 verse 3 says this, Seek the Lord all who are humble and follow his commands. Seek to do what is right and live humbly. Perhaps even yet, the Lord will protect you, protect you from his anger on that day of destruction. The sad reality of the church and the Christian faith today is that by and large, 
we are more concerned about the symptoms of moral decay than we are digging out the cancer of sin. Rather than seeking to cure the disease of sin, we've resorted to simply treat the symptoms. Imagine with me today if you have come down with a great sickness. And that sickness progressively gets worse and worse to the point where you have to go to the hospital and get attention from the medical professionals. And you go into the hospital, you meet with the doctors and the nurses and the medical staff. They run a host of tests and blood work. And shortly thereafter, they, the, the doctor pulls you into his office, asks you to take a seat with a grim look on his face and a lump in his throat. He proceeds to tell you that you have cancer. Some of you have experienced this reality. And imagine with me, imagine with me if the doctor over the coming weeks and months proceeds to treat your symptoms rather than killing the cancer. Like if, if proven treatment is available, if proven treatment is available and there is a very good chance that if you pursue that treatment, you've caught it early enough that if you pursue that treatment to kill the cancer, that, that the cancer will either be obliterated or will go into remission. What are you going to do? Even if it's going to cause pain and discomfort and difficulty and even have financial implications in your life, you're going to kill the cancer, right? It would be crazy for you if proven treatment was available, it would be crazy for you to simply treat the symptoms rather than killing the cancer. Because you know that if you don't get to the root of the problem, treating the symptoms will merely be temporary. And the sad reality of the church today, not just Element Church, but the Christian church at large, is that we are more concerned about the latest boycott and the latest piece of legislation that has the potential to take away some of our rights as Christians than we are concerned about actually loving God with our whole hearts. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about legislation because we should, and we should be informed, and we should be involved. But... And it is a big but. Do not be so naive to think that a piece of legislation that swings in the favor of Christian values is going to do anything for our wicked nation because it will not. It won't. We don't need more boycotts. Because all they do is show an unbelieving world that we don't actually have real answers to real problems. Boycotts do not raise the dead. And that's what we're dealing with here. That's the problem. The world that does not know Jesus is spiritually dead. And they need a real answer. And the only real answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The only one. We, we need the church today. We need the church today to be consumed with their own purity and holiness before God. We need a group of believers 
that isn't all that concerned about their own comfort, but is absolutely consumed with loving God with their whole heart and showing that love to a world that is wretchedly lost without God because that group knows that the only answer to this cancer of sin and death is the Lord Jesus Christ. Last, last week in my quiet time, I read this verse in Psalm 86, 11 from King David. He wrote this, and I think it speaks to the kind of pursuit that we need today. He said this, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. Is that really the cry of my heart? Does that really describe my spiritual life? Because friends, this this is what we need the church to be. This is what our wretchedly lost world desperately needs the church to be. John Wesley, the famous revivalist, said, said this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, And I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of God on earth. So here's my challenge for the church today, not just Element Church, but Christians who make up the Christian faith in our nation. It's this, stop lobbying and start seeking. Stop lobbying and start seeking or at least make it the main thing. Make it the main thing. The problems of our day require a different solution. So what's the problems of our day? Well, the first thing we see is the problem of the people. The second is the problem of the leadership. The third is the problem of the church. So are you seeking? Are you really seeking God in your life? Are you really pleading with God to produce in you a purity and a love for his word. Friends, the the lost world we live in does not need the church to boycott something else. They need the church to show them the God they intimately know as their savior. I can't answer that for you. I can't answer that for Element Church, but I can answer that for me. And you can answer that for you And I pray, I pray that we would put all this other stuff aside and that we would seek the Lord. That more than anything else, that we would be concerned about our purity of heart. And that we would seek the Spirit of God to do a work in us that only He can do. It starts with salvation. And it continues when we allow the Spirit of God to transform us into who He wants us to be. That's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. Let's pray. Father, in heaven, I pray for a renewed passion for pursuing your spirit. I pray, Jesus, that you would produce in us a purity and a love that would model to a lost world who you really are. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.